folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Hello, everyone. And we got kind of a crazy schedule. We, we're doing it on different days, and we can't seem to settle on a day, but what, what, this is Wednesday night instead of our normal Friday night. But we're not doing yeah, it two days early. Friday, we're doing it five days late. That's right, because we'll have another one Friday if my brothers don't decide to have another party without me. Yeah, you can never tell with Jason. Sometimes well, I know why. To have a party. Yeah, and I know why he doesn't invite me to his house, and it's okay. You think you know? There might be other reasons. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> Got to wait till somebody spills something on his carpet, then he'll invite me. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, getting my ashtray situated. Today we are talking about biblical inerrancy, um, and I think before we start, we should we should say the, talk about the difference between infallibility and inerrancy. That's a good question or a good point because we we speak of the church as being infallible and the Pope particularly as being infallible, um, but that is a quality that adheres to the church in its act of exercising magisterial authority. Um, and the term infallible doesn't, in, a, in its real understanding, uh, doesn't apply to the, um, the content of that magisterial teaching, but rather to the act of teaching. Whereas the content is, um, we would say it's, uh, we wouldn't say infallible. There's another word we have. And inerrant isn't the same word either. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good point because when we talk about inerrancy, we're talking about the, the inerrancy of a, we're talking about of the a written itself. body. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. We're yeah. The thing the itself. itself. Um, and in fallibility, generally we're, only talking about matters of faith and morals. Yes. I mean, the the Pope can't come in and say, hey, it's wrong to manufacture guns and bullets. And, in fact, he has <laughs> done that, and we don't see that as... Uh, yeah, it, there, no, no infallibility attaches to his act of saying that. But if the Old Testament Bible talks about a, a man, you know... Uh, uh, making a, a story about a man making a sword, we would say that the, that really happened. Yeah. Even though kind there's of. no, nothing of faith or morals in the idea of that happening. Okay. So what, what is the teaching on that? Is the Bible a hundred percent without error? Well, there's a couple things that we could start with is some quotes, um, so, for example, there's a quote uh, from Pope Leo in uh, Providentissimus Deus, and he writes, For all the books which the Church receives as sacred and canonical are written wholly and entirely with all their parts at the dictation of the Holy Ghost, and so far is it from being possible that any error can coexist with inspiration— that inspiration not only is essentially incompatible with error, but excludes and rejects it as absolutely and necessarily as it is impossible that God himself, the supreme truth, 
can utter that which is not true. It follows that those who maintain that an error, and notice that he's, he, he uses it in the singular here, that those who maintain that an error is possible in any genuine passage of sacred writings either pervert the Catholic notion of inspiration or make God the author of such error. Uh, hold on a second. I think I know. Oh, here it is. Um, okay, one of the things that strike me there is that he talks about, first he talks about uh, the inspiration of the uh, Bible and Scripture. Mm-hmm. Then he talks about dictation. Right. And, and, I, and I don't what he's saying is that the... Um, and we'll get into this in a, in a little bit because there are some aspects of which, you know, it might look like we would admit an error in scripture and not really be doing so. But, um, he's pointing out that the Catholic understanding of inspiration is such that we really ought to think of the Holy Spirit as the author of scripture. And the various human writers as writers of scripture, not authors of scripture, if you can understand the difference or if you get what I mean. See, I've, I've never understood it that way, though. But um, at the same time, when we say writers ver- in, in, rather than authors, we don't necessarily mean scribes. So, it, and, and that's where it, it's a little bit when he says the dictation of the Holy Ghost, I don't think he means that the Holy Ghost is telling them word for word. But at the same time, the Holy Ghost is instructing, inspiring them, uh, maybe in ways that they're not fully conscious of, but is inspiring them in what to write. So my question in every way did, I, I, I think most people agree that Moses was the author of uh, Genesis, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's okay. the common. He, he's attributed as the and not only Genesis, but I think like the first five books of the Bible or something like that, right? You know, Genesis yeah. and Exodus and Numbers, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Yeah. So when he's writing this, is is it because God? meant for him to write down on the first day God created? Are those the words that God meant for him to write down? That exact thing? Uh, it might not have been, I mean, it, it might not have been that God intended him to write, um, for example, the um, the wording of that. But, for example, we we would, I think, accept that God meant for him to write the sequence okay and and to write the evolution because you know remember part of the point of of the sequence of the days was why we rest on the sabbath and so we see the completion of of work within six days and then blessing the seventh day as a day to rest um and there's you know there's a lot of people who 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 take different ways of interpreting those. So for example, some people will want to adhere very literally to that sequence where a day means a day. Other people will want to adhere to it as it's a sequence of acts of creation. Um, and, but a day doesn't necessarily f- mean a spin of the earth, 
you know, around its axis. Right. Uh, because there's other parts of the scriptures where, you know, it says, you know, a thousand years like a, are like an evening come and gone to right. the Lord and stuff like that. Right. You know, so, so there's, there's others who, who look at that and say, okay, so the, the specific sequence is, is there, but the, um, but the timing, you know, the, the day and, and in fact, but it does we may say or may day. not be, yeah, what, that is d- what did it say says. day? And if he's being dictated to, then God told us that he created things in six days. In six days. And there's where it, where an example of where the idea of what inspiration does include and mean and what it might not mean. Mm-hmm. But, you know, before we get into that, we, we, I, I, there's a point that I'd like to make about scripture and why it's so important to revere this idea of the inerrancy of scripture. Yeah. Um, we call scripture the word of God, but we also call Jesus the word of God. And in fact, in the, in the beginning of the gospel of John, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And of course, he's talking about Christ, the Son, who became man, and then he gets into that. But if Jesus is the Word of God, the Logos of the Father, and we also call Holy Scripture the Word of God, then it means we're establishing a kind of identity between Holy Scriptures and Jesus himself. And I think this identity is a very real one. I think what we see is that the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the various sacred authors, is in a very real way, but in a less complete way, maybe even in a complete way, but a less um, specifically observable way in terms of, of, you know, temporality and and spatial, you know, existence. He's manifesting the second person of the Trinity in the world through his inspiration of the sacred authors in, in the development of scripture. And then that culminates in the specific manifestation because we attribute the incarnation to the Holy, you know, as an act of the Holy Spirit. We say, in fact, it's part of our creed during the mass by the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus was conceived, you know, I forget exactly how we say it, but, um, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, by the Virgin, of the Virgin Mary. Um, so we attribute that to the Holy Spirit as well. And so here we have this duality of two manners in which the Holy Spirit is making the Son present in the world. One is through the written word of scripture by inspiration. And the other is specifically as a human being through the incarnation. In both cases, uh, the Father it is, is bringing himself to us. Yeah, yeah. He is giving his word to us. And I think that we need to revere, because of that, that the reality of that identity... Uh, I think we need to revere the body of Scripture and its inerrancy and, and its value um, for teaching and admonishing and everything else just as much, for example, as we revere the Holy Eucharist. Yeah. 
Although it, you know, the, the protocols are different because the Holy Eucharist is a very specific constrained. The modality is different of the, 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 the specific full real presence of Jesus, you know, the, the full divinity right there in a, a little, uh, what looks like a little piece of bread, but, um, well, the, but the, you can hold the, uh, or you can right. see and touch the Eucharist. I, you can see and touch words written on a page, but you can't see and touch scripture as a whole the, as a thing. Right. Kind of the body of scripture is something that's much, much more diffuse, but, but just as real. And, and like I said, I think there's a very real identity between scripture and Christ. In fact, I think it was St. Jerome, the, the, translator the um latin translator of scripture who um is credited with the vulgate um and when i say credited with i don't mean to to suggest that there's any um doubt about it but the the one who who um translated the bible into the latin vulgate i think he's credited with saying that to be ignorant of scripture is to be ignorant of christ right Okay, um, so okay, God wants to give Himself to His people. Uh, not time for Jesus to be born yet, so He's giving us this Scripture. I'm uh, almost kind of part of the. It seems like part of the covenant between Him and Abraham. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. it's in that storyline where it's and uh, again, That's I right. always come back to the question first. Did the authors write exactly the wording that God wanted them to write, or not so much wanted to them to, but did were they provided with the wording? Number mm-hmm. two, uh, that wording, what was it meant to convey? Was there were there? I mean, okay, Jesus told us uh, this parable of the uh, uh, prodigal son, right? I, are are we to assume that that really happened? Oh, right. The, you're he talking told about us a the, story. The son and of... We th- we think of it as a as a parable, right? So are right. any of the because it said like he's, Job, he's spoken parables, parable? right? Because the, the Bible doesn't say that Job is a parable. It talks right. about Job, whereas it it says Jesus spoke to them in these parables. So yeah, do we what what? Well, here's before we because that's like a kind of a big leap between the question of of the words because even if job is a parable there might be the question of the particular wording and that kind of stuff and i think when it comes to the particular wording there is room certainly room within the catholic understanding whether uh whether we uh think this or not but room to think that even though the holy spirit told the human authors what to write he didn't necessarily tell them how to write it in a way that in the sense that the underlying assumptions about things and the, the ways of speaking that people had would find their ways into scripture as the human authors wrote down what they were told to write, because they would write it according to how they were used to speaking and thinking and talking about stuff. And an example that I, you know, that I could use not from scripture, but to, to kind of show what I mean is, um, let's suppose you're writing a story about a guy and, you know, the guy's out at night doing something. Okay. And you, you put in your story, the, the moon was shining so bright 
that he could see his shadow. Okay. Now that's something that an author might put into scripture. You know, if, if you were to find something like that, you say, okay, well, that's fine. The moon's shining so bright, but it would be a mistake to say, oh, the Holy Spirit inspired him to say that the moon was shining. Therefore, the moon actually shines with its own light. It doesn't just reflect the light of the sun. You see what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Because that's not really what the what the passage is saying. The 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 passage is just, you know, the guy is conveying that 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 the light from the moon is so bright. The guy sees a shadow. He's not saying something about the moon, or, or about the nature the nature of the moon in that passage, or yeah, or even necessarily about a shadow. Unless the shadow, you know, happens to have some something to do with something later. But but right. exactly, that's and and that's the. It's in that sense, I think, that we would say, okay, the, the Holy Spirit really did direct the human writers what to write, but he didn't necessarily direct them how to write it in the sense that, you know, he's not going to, to correct their wording and their understanding. I mean, even we today say things like the sun rises, even though we know that it doesn't right. really do that, you know? So right. it, it's those kinds of things that it would be a mistake to say, we can, you know, take these little ways of saying things and then turn them into some kind of infallible or inerrant statements about the nature of the world around us in Scripture. Or to use such things to attack the inerrancy of Scripture. One of the uh, uh, analogies I heard was that uh, Jesus Christ, um, Jesus Christ is fully human and fully man. And Mary is just as much a parent of Jesus Christ as the father is. And the scripture yes. uh, is just as much a product of man as it is of God. Yeah, that's a good, a good analogy. And yet Jesus, in his full humanity, was completely without the errancy of humanity that we call sin yeah and in a like way the bible is even in its in its reflection of human contribution is fully inerrant because of its the the parentship of the father actually that was the next step of the analogy that i i forgot about that part but yeah oh, well that, that <laughs> i thought that's where you were step. going i just i no, said it for I, you <laughs> i had forgotten <laughs> okay so when we hear things like uh, on the first day God created, um, well, first of all, I, we Does don't it say necessarily the first know. What does I, it? We yeah, are the words. The words that were there. I mean, there's there's a lot of, you know, we find little bits and clips of ancient ancient you know uh, manuscripts and pieces of parchment and that kind of stuff, um, but we also know that it was you know, carried over generations of telling and rewriting and scribing and that kind of stuff um, into, you know, what eventually by the time it was being written and maintained as, as a, you know, in scrolls by, you know, by the, the, um, the, the Israelites and then the Jews. Right. There, there may have been some, you know, evolution of the exact wording or translating from one language or one age of a language into the next 
there may have been a little bit of of evolution. If there was, that shouldn't fact, perturb it, us. It doesn't actually say on the first day God created. Uh, he creates the night and day, and they calls that the first day. Right. Um, it's 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 right. And in fact, you know, up until the point where he does create, uh, which would be well, that would be the third day. Um, and even then, um, there like the sun, yeah, the sun doesn't show up until like the third day or so. There could be, um, it could be actually one day, as in one turn of the earth. Uh, it 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 could have been turning slower. Oh, that's true. Especially I mean, if 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 we accept uh, a concept of cosmic of cosmic evolution, where where Earth the Earth at the time was in the form of a giant dust cloud. Uh, yeah. or, or collection of dust particles around a, a nascent, uh, star or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Anyway, um. So yeah, that's, that, yeah, exactly. That we, we don't need to, uh, we don't need to get hung up on that. Yeah. Here's the problem. It, it just seems like a lot of arguments are hung up on. Like, um, actually someday I want to try to get a, a young earth, person and debate them on this podcast um i wanted to try to get someone from like maybe the creation museum or that that place in kentucky and oh yeah uh, d- debate the young earth old earth uh <clears throat> theories yeah but you know you gotta the, the problem with debates like that and and what always kind of makes me think ah, you know is, is that it's like you get into that and then they'll they'll just pull this this stuff out and say well according to this and according to that and so and so wrote this and 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 you know talking about different you know science findings and that kind of stuff and then it's like okay I, let me take out of the the you know 25 that just got shotgunned at me all at once and I'll uh I was able to remember two of them uh when I finally get back to a library or the internet and I can look them up and figure out what what's really going on it's like oh it didn't at yeah. all say or mean or contain what they just claimed um and you know, the particular finding you know what's that democrats do that a lot liberals <laughs> do that they come at you with 50 yeah. different things all of them are false so if you nail them down on one specific thing and i've heard them do this you nail them they down and through. say no we're not leaving this point until we settle it finally they'll say you're so focused on this one thing if you look at the yeah. big picture all together you'll see but every single one of them are wrong yeah i know i know it's <laughs> it's frustrating it is and it's hard to it it, it's difficult to um to bring any kind of um clear argument because most people have stopped listening after after a first few back and forth because a couple of specific people just uh, don't want to think about it i don't really care and they move on to something else and the that shotgun ends up being the 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 real force of what they walk away with yeah it's like oh yeah he had 800 points and the other guy only had three and it's like well okay never mind that those 800 points you know every one of which is completely unvalidated um and unverified but 
yeah, that's so. Anyway, that that's um, I I think it it would be fun if you know if you had time to like kind of look up and understand and 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 have a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of all the various arguments that say the the creationists um the cre I, I I don't really call creationists I believe in creation um right. I think the more is like the creation fundamentalists um and the um you know I I think that's it's a good there's word kind for of it. a it well it's fundamentalist right yeah I thought you said sentimentalist oh no yeah, yeah, sentimentalist. No. The creation <laughs> but, sentimentalist. But it, it you know, is kind of. They, they want to yeah, attach something that doesn't have to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it right. doesn't they, make it any less amazing. It. Right. Well, and, it, and you know, the, the I think the thing about fundamentalists, um, the reason they insist on like every everything, including like the wording itself and to, you know, they would be the ones, you know, like we said about, you know, to say, oh, well, because the Bible says this, therefore, you know, the, the, the sun must have its own source of light or something like that. Yeah. Um, but what they really, I think what boils down to fundamentalist, uh, approach to the Bible, um, isn't a greater faith or belief in the Bible's truth. It's the rejection of the idea that the content of the Bible, the, the the canonicity of the Bible, and the understanding of what the Bible really does say, uh, they reject the idea that that could rest on another authority. Uh, yeah. You know, that, that when Christ came, he established himself and his body, the church, as the interpreter and the authoritative... Um, arbiter of what scripture really does say yeah and you know i i got an argument once with a uh flat earther um who it became a discussion over exactly what the bible says and to me that was a stupid argument because um it's not like anyone speaks the language that it was originally written in yeah um but aside from that, if you're so focused on those words and somehow interpreting a scientific understanding of the world around us, you have limited the meaning of Scripture. And there's so well, much true. more that you won't be able to get from it because you're stuck on these words. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the creation of man and our first sin and our relationship with women and uh man and woman's relationship with god i think all of that is missed if you're if by the yeah focused on the yeah that's right that's right um because he's interested in proving that man was made out of clay and you know yeah well so okay we go to you quoted these but you know that's past- kind of one extreme I mean, that's the extreme where in order to get anything out of the Bible, you have to be your own archaeologist and, and, and linguist. And because they, you know, the, you look at, you pick up three different Bibles. Take, for example, our belief in, um, the Immaculate Conception 
and and yeah. Mary's life of grace. Okay, so you know we look at uh, the Vulgate translated by Saint Jerome into Latin, and and it has the angel Gabriel greeting Mary, um, gratia plena, you know, hail full of grace, ave mm-hmm. gratia plena. We translate that as hail full of grace. Um, some scriptures uh, today translate, and and this is in Saint Luke, as like hail o highly favored daughter. Um, some translated as hail o favored one. So, you know, all of these have a slightly different feel, and they all have a slightly different um, room of allowance for understanding what is really going on here. But the thing is, in if 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 you don't have if you reject the idea that there's another authority to be able to tell you what it really means and what's going on there, uh, so that you can then take it and 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 get more deeply out of it what is there. Um, if you reject that idea, then you have to say, well, wait a minute, these things could mean diff- think different things. I have to know what to believe. But in order for me to know what to believe, I have to uh, go delve into the ancient languages, fi- figure out what language was Luke originally writing this in. But was he translating from, you know, when, when Mary was telling Luke the story later, which she probably did, I know, you know, she spent time with him in her older years, uh, late, you know, um, what language and she probably was she speaking? told him these stories. Well, you know, did what, did the angel greet her in Hebrew or, you know, in Luke's yeah. language, which was Greek, you know, and the, did she translate it to Greek for him or did she speak to him in Hebrew and he translated it to Greek? You know, what was what was going on? Um, I think Luke was Greek. I'm not positive about that. So mm-hmm. people don't if I'm wrong about that, let me know. But but don't get too too hard on me. Um, but, you know, there's those kinds of things. So it's like. It's, it becomes impossible to actually get, to, to know what you're to get out of scripture. It's exactly like you said, you get so hung up on the words that you can't really receive the content anymore. Right. And, uh, when you've got a, a permanent church that is, uh, guaranteed not to err in, uh, in faith and morals, then you can rest easy that the uh that that tradition had been kept alive for 2000 years and that we are getting what we were meant to get out of it right right i mean you know you've got now a a church which has the authority of the holy spirit having received the holy spirit to establish let's just take the basic first idea the canon of scripture which books are in which are out yeah. Aside from what exactly they say. And, you know, that's it's interesting. Jesus gave the church the power to speak on his behalf. He said, who hears you, hears me. Right. And he's and then he also said, I say only that which is given to me by the father. So he's setting all this up so that when the Holy Spirit and then he said later, the Holy Spirit will show you all things. He's setting this up so that when the Holy Spirit finally comes and and uh um animates the church we know that we are to trust this body as as we would trust christ standing right there in front of us and speaking right as as they once trusted the scripture mm-hmm. but right now now that scripture is is has been animated in a way that it it hadn't been before right right now 
Okay, you mentioned a couple uh, quotes from various popes, um, and then we get to Vatican II. Yeah, Vatican II, I mean, a lot of people will will use Vatican II as um, the, you know, they'll, they'll point to it and say, see, boy, this is how, how strongly the church, um, y- you know, teaches the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, yeah. But... I'm looking for the exact quote here uh, from Vatican II. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we should have had this ready to go. <laughs> well, I was reading it right before you called, but uh, it said something to the effect that. Uh, Since therefore all that the inspired authors or sacred authors affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge that the books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without without error teach that truth which god for the sake of our salvation wished to see confided to the sacred scriptures now i think that's kind of weakening the point i think i almost feel like the the vatican council sort of lost its trust there and hedged itself to to you know to be able to uh it, it basically assumed at some point the Bible's going to be, you know, shown to have error, and they're hedging their bets and saying, "Oh, but it's not Maybe. that we say it's in error in all its respects. It's only without error in teaching the truth that God intended for our salvation." But it depends on how you. It even depends on how you interpret that. Um, when they say "for the sake of our salvation," are they talking about the? Uh, are they saying that? Only the words that have to do with our salvation are without error, or are they saying that God, who is interested in our salvation, did not err? You know what I mean? Well, you could yeah. interpret that a couple different ways. Well, I know, but that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. The fact that you can and, interpret it in a couple different ways. And but, a lot you know, of the people thing have is, taken that to, to mean that, yes, Scripture can err on scientific points say well let's let let's not even worry about scientific points i you know this this uh i've i'll give you an, a couple of examples so um there was one uh priest um who uh, well the, the examples i'm going to give you is this idea that that i'm seeing catholic priests and maybe bishops too i don't know i haven't heard bishops actually speak on it but there's this kind of mm-hmm. this school of thought in the Catholic Church, that the only thing that is inerrant in Scripture is the lesson behind the stories, but the events told are not necessarily true. For example, there's one priest who was talking about the it was the um, the part of the Bible that talks about the the coming of the Magi from the East um, mm-hmm. and and meeting King Herod and then Joseph taking Mary and Jesus and fleeing to Egypt and he said, you know, now Jesus didn't necessarily go to Egypt, but Matthew had to have Jesus go to Egypt in order to fulfill the prophecy uh, that says, I will call my son out of Egypt. Jeez. Yeah, right. So, so that's what I mean. That, And he said, and, and in fact, this, oh, this is the same priest. You know what? Wow. We've, we've uh, hit on that again. Um the the, like the what uh, he pointed out was that there's there's a conflict in the scripture. So Matthew has Jesus going to Egypt, 
Luke has Jesus going to Jerusalem for the uh, presentation. Now, this is the same priest. You remember way back, like, like our, I think I mentioned him on our very first podcast, who misunderstood the concept of redemption, thinking that when we talk about redemption, we're talking about a payment that, that God makes to the devil in order to buy us back. Yeah. And he didn't I, understand okay. that it, we're, it we're talking about Jesus paying our debt to the Father, and that's the redemption. So this same priest is the one who, who made this comment about Jesus not really going to Egypt. And I guess it didn't occur to him that, you know, Matthew's or uh, Luke's account of going to Jerusalem would have happened like within a few months after Jesus was born, because in, in association with that, there's a ritual bath that Mary would have had to, to take after, you know, giving birth. I think every woman after yeah, would have been birth right to the first away. son or something like that. Yeah. It, I mean, it would have been like, like six weeks or something like that. So, um, so that would have been fairly soon, but remember Herod had all the infants under two slaughtered. Two years old. Yeah. So we, it, we should expect that, oh yeah, Jesus and Mary and Joseph had been living in Bethlehem for a while when the Magi showed up. So there's no conflict. They're just two different gospels recount two different things that happened at two different times. Right. Here's the thing. Like, and okay. Any, uh, atheists has a few of those little things ready to fire at you. Oh, and, right. um, at least a few. Usually, mm-hmm. uh, they, they have a certain number of them memorized so that they can do what you just talked about. They can shotgun a bunch of them for you, spray and pray that oh, one right. of them you can't explain. And then they say, see, I won. Um, <laughs> there are many books written, uh, that discuss each one of those things. Scott Hahn's got yeah. one or two, I think. Um, right. But, all of those things, usually, if you if you look into them a little bit deeper, you can find the explanation of why there seems to be a um, uh, a difference of what people did. I, yeah, right. That that there's you know you're you're just missing you know, and you know that that's that's a good point. That a lot of times, if you think there's a contradiction in the truth of the Bible. It's because you lack knowledge of the Bible. Yeah. And do you ever notice it's, I, I, I mean, you and I both think about sciencey stuff too. Right. And, and it's that way too. It's like, wait a minute. And especially since I've been listening to that other podcast, um, you know, I'll hear something and I'm like, well, wait a minute, but I thought you said in this other podcast, this thing back here. And then maybe like three podcasts after that. He says something that, oh, that's why these two things both make sense or something like, you know, that it, it's that way so with you, you hear things in science that seem to contradict each other. And then you eventually, the more you learn, the more you realize, oh, no, it is both of these things are true. Yeah. And it's um, it's the same with scripture. And I I like learning more about science and more about the physical world. So that when people bring these arguments against me, um, usually when they do bring them against me, I find out that not only do they not know much about the Bible and they don't know, they don't understand the accusation they're making, but they also don't understand a whole lot about physics. Or, yeah, physics, science, history, math, whatever. (laughs) 
there, the, a lot of it is, or language. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is rhetoric. And it, it seems really there's only two or three authors of this rhetoric who gave on these talking points and they're repeated oh, and by get, millions uh, of people. Yeah. Regenerated and yeah. Yeah. Spread and everything. That's true. That's true. Well, but your point is that the, the stories of the Bible themselves, um, aside from the fact that we ought to accept them as truth, um, ought to have a certain amount of reverence for them mm-hmm. as God's revelation, and as not the word of that, God. But if you think about the, the, I mean, I think it diminishes the, the wonder of God. A, another example is, is there was a priest I, uh, had gone to mass, um, while traveling somewhere and the it, it the story had to do i i'm pretty sure it was the babylonian exile um and he said well the jews weren't really exiled to babylon but they had to put that story in in order to show the i don't know the 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 consequences of unfaithfulness or something like that you know it, he had some you know reason why the story had to be made up even though the event didn't really happen and it's like, why would you, th- I mean, especially in this case, it, it's not like, a, why would you didn't. even think? Exactly. It's like, this guy must have so little faith in God's ability. And, you know, on our way out of the church, I t- Jake was with me, I remember my son. And, and I, you know, I said, you know, that priest is completely wrong. Um, You know, for most of the Old Testament, what God does is he writes with history. He uses history as his pen and then inspires people to write down the history that occurred and and the history is is how he conveys his intentions yeah but uh but to to have so little faith in god's providence to do that you know it, it's like i, I, I don't I even get why you want to think out of that, that. <laughs> i i think yeah. um i think a lot of modern uh priests i think they're living in this I, I think they're living in kind of a hippie uh, fantasy where they think that if they can think more like the heathens around them, then they will be able to convince those people to become Christian. I, and well, I, I, 10 years ago, I would have said, no, five years ago, I would have said you're, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and without being, you know, accusatory on on, you know, as too much of a generalization, I think that yeah. every bit as frequently of that is that you've got priests who are looking for reasons to deny the specificity of scriptural inerrancy, because if the Bible is specifically inerrant, then that means the way they're living is very wrong. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think I've been completely red pilled about, about all these old time priests who, who, uh, spew some of this garbage. Um, yeah. And I, I hate to think that there's, uh, ill intent behind some of this stuff. I, I, I enjoy thinking that they're just foolish old men who were caught up in the sixties and thought that this is the way to get everybody to become Christian. <laughs> and I, I I'm being shown that wrong more and more, but uh, I still re- I see one hopes for the sake of their souls that that's what it is. I see the light in their eyes as they say these stupid things, and I I think to them they 
they feel good about themselves when they do this. <clears throat> you know, the, the priest who talks about uh, the the miracle of the loaves was that everybody oh, the shared. miracle of sharing. Things like that. The, <laughs> yeah. the stupidity of it. <laughs> I think they really feel good about do, saying these things. The same way uh, the morons right now joke walking around about... with masks on feel good about themselves because they're saving the world by wearing this mask from the COVID-19 oh. evil. Um, Only if they, they have it. What, do they think they have it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, I remember reading some posts on a community thing, uh, some woman saying, I am wearing the mask for you, not for myself. And she was so uh, holier than thou about it. Like, like yeah. I'm saving the world by wearing this mask. And uh, she just looks so foolish. But that, I only, she, that only makes sense she, if you if you believe you have the virus. And even then, you're not really saving the world. You're just putting a few right. people at less risk. Uh, but, you know, that, and that's the thing. A lot of people, I think, don't even... It's like, I don't know. I I think COVID just, <laughs> it made people stupid. I, I don't want to get too sidetracked yeah. on that. But, but you know, you're right. bringing up the, the miracle of sharing reminded me of that joke. I forget how the joke was set up, but about Jesus being a student at school and, you know, seeking, sneaking a, a his into his lunch early and getting a fish sandwich out. And no, the teacher catches him and say, Jesus, I hope you brought enough to share. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how the joke is supposed to be set up, though. You still there? You there? Yeah, sorry. I, I yanked the uh, out. my earphones uh, oh. out. You know, I was that you I was talking about this with, or Jason? We were talking about stupid things like that, how priests and sometimes historians who get a spot on the History Channel come up with these, just these silly explanations for... Bible stories that there's no way to prove one way or another. There's no reason not to assume that what the Bible says is true. Um, and maybe that it was miraculous. Right. That's like, or, that's, that's one of the things. But not even to... aside from the miracles, just mm -hmm. the, like you said, fleeing into Egypt. Why would you even bring it up? Yeah. There's would, no reason would to you think, think he didn't that he did that. Yeah. Um, that's... So we were talking about making a documentary that, the entire gospel from beginning to end was really about Jesus Christ wandering the land, trying to get good cell phone reception. <laughs> and that's really what the Bible was about. <laughs> I think that would be a great documentary. It would be, and you could be say it the same so way historians fun. do this. Yeah. Just keep that straight face and that kind of, uh, you know, semi-stern look while you, you right. stand with, with your foot on a stone and a, a backdrop that looks like you're in the Holy Land or something. <laughs> like you could make little substitutions during the Beatitudes, you know. That's right. <laughs> Blessed are the high in spirit. It wasn't poor in spirit. It was high in spirit because he could get better reception. <laughs> yeah. He could get into some linguistic, like, you know, like like you find, you know, some ancient yeah this you know greek this was the manuscript uh, and say you know see there's this this was actually a smudge this that was, caused they were talking the, about this meaning of this here. word it changed the meaning of this word from poor to high or from high to poor <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be hard to do that though that's the weird thing 
I know. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't. You could probably point <clears throat> to everything in the Bible and say this is really this what is it was just all about. Something else. But you know <laughs> what's funny? And though, the Old Testament foretold all of that. What's funny is that there would be people out there who think that we're making fun of the Bible, the Gospels. Right. And, and maybe wondered, come up with arguments. <laughs> how many people, how many people out there would actually realize that we're making fun of all these historians? I got to wonder. And so-called you know, if, scholars. <laughs> if I ever get rich, I'm going to do that. If I ever have enough money mm-hmm. to not care what I do with my <clears throat> day, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that would be that, fun. That's my dream. All my kids sit around and talk about, what if we hit the lottery? What would we do? And oh, you yeah. get a Ferrari, get a big house, get a swimming pool. I would make a movie about Jesus trying to get better cell reception. <laughs> cell phone reception. Okay. Well, you know what? I think yours, yours is more fun than mine. Uh, there's actually two projects I would take on if I, if I won the lottery. One is yeah. a, um, a fully scholarly, fully Catholic, English translation of the Bible, um, or, or maybe multi-language, multiple languages, but a tr- translations of the Bible that are fully scholarly, fully Catholic, and fully copyright-free. Um, yeah. The second thing I would do is I would start a school for liturgical uh, musicians, people who want to, who are serious about and real want wanting to write real sacred music. Um, but in order to benefit from it, uh, you know, it'd be like through grants and that kind of stuff for the work. Right. Their work has to, again, be copyright free. Right. Uh, you brought that up in the, uh, in our podcast about liturgical music. Yeah. That would, that well, would be a great right. thing. That would be, so, uh, that would be an excellent thing. It wouldn't be as fun as the, uh, cell phone. The Jesus cell phone thing. No, not, yeah. a, <laughs> but you know what? Now that you've brought that up. I would, I would, would I would have to, world. I would have to carve out a grant to give you to pursue that, but you have to oh, include yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, we're, we're, well, we're there's one more thing here. that I, I, I'd like to mention, and I read this, I believe it, um, but I, you know, I, you can take it as you will. By the way, do you know that there are some people who believe that, that the gospel of John is mostly fiction? Some Catholics who believe that the Gospel of John is like, like John was just making stuff up that that he was being true to what Christ taught, but just making up what he said. I why why would and even think like that? even some people believe like like the Gospel of John is the one one Gospel that he mentions the spear that uh at on the cross uh where they pierce Christ's side with a spear and blood and water runs out. Some people even believe that, that was made up by John. No, it's just John. And so people think, oh, that was made up because it's in John. But John was like the beloved one, wasn't he? John he was, was the one that, like, Jesus' he, yeah. favorite. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, the, the um, which I, that was just a, a sideline of, of, you know, how, how stupid that, you know, can people be about biblical study. Yeah. But there is a thing, uh, when, when you're reading the Gospels, um, what I have read is that when you read like direct quotes of Jesus, you know, in, in modern times, we have this concept of a direct quote and an indirect quote. And if you're going to put a direct quote, if you're going to put quotation marks around somebody's words, um, they, 
you have to, those words have to be exactly what they said. If you're right. going to change it at all, then you have to indicate that it's an indirect quote and that you're paraphrasing or something okay. like that. So, of course, back then, the, 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 the quotation marks themselves didn't exist within the written language. That's, that's kind of a. What's thing. back then? Back when the gospels were being written. Okay. So there's, you know, there's no quotation marks, but they did, you know, say, you know, so, so and so said, and then, you know, give words that presume sometimes are from the mouth of so and so. So they have. Jesus told Bible, us to be good. These, Jesus said, you know, be good. Yeah. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers or, you know, blessed are the high in spirit or whatever. Right. But, but here's the thing that, that I have read that I don't have any problem with this. Maybe some people, you know, believe it. Some people don't that when writers gave direct quotes back then, first of all, you know, they, they weren't running around with, with tape recorders and they didn't have their cell phones to be able to, to uh, record audio and video and everything. Right. So they, you know, there's that aspect of it. And so what authors would do is they would remember the content of this sermon or that sermon or this speech or this parable or whatever. But when they retold it in their writing, they they told it as they remembered it, which is to say as they received it. So it's going back out in the sort of linguistic speaking style of the writer rather than necessarily word for word what the person said. So in the Gospel right. of Mark, Jesus sounds a little bit like Mark. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus sounds a little bit like John. That kind of a thing. I don't think it's problematic for the Catholic understanding of inerrancy of Scripture to believe that. But it doesn't mean John made up what Jesus said out of whole cloth, <laughs> as some right. people seem to think. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, it's just something I read, and I, and I thought, well, okay, that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. It would be really hard to remember exactly. Now, personally, I don't know enough about linguistics to read the Gospels and, and to say, yeah, Jesus sounds different in this Gospel than he does in that Gospel. It must be because of how the different writers are recounting the things he said. I, you know, but I'm it's not, not just even how the different writers are saying it, but how the different translators are translating it. And you, well, that's true too. It could two thousand you know, years later, uh, you you kind of you have to rely on the authority of the church. If you can't rely on the authority of the church, I don't even see the reason for reading the Bible. Yeah, exactly. It's like that's you know if if, if you're gonna if you're gonna say well. The Bible stands on its own, and the Holy Spirit, you know, those who who pursue it with an open heart, the Holy Spirit enlightens them as to what the Bible says, so that they then know the truth by reading the Bible under the enlightening uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, if that's how God works, why have a Bible? Right. Uh, we could just go through life. Just, no I could just go, I could go pray to God and pray for enlightenment of what I should do each day, I, you know. Yeah, it gets uh, so it becomes kind of silly if if you don't have a church, right? Okay, do we have anything else? That's all I've got. Okay, that's all I got. Um, But I got news. The thing is, there's a lot of news items here, but none of them are really, really big news. Uh, So, Major League. 
baseball team owners are uh, have approved of the commissioner's plan uh, proposal to start the season in early July, but it still uh, has to be okayed by the Major League Baseball Players Association. And then, of course, it's got to be, I mean, the, the individual the governors of the states governors and, yeah, and stuff. Right. I don't yeah. see how they're going to get around that. And I don't see how mess. any of this is going to happen if we can't go to a ball game. If if people can't go downtown and go to the baseball game, I don't understand. The, yeah, there's no point in doing the, the games. The, the whole thing is about going to the ball the game. the spectators. State. Oh, you know what they could do, though? Oh, wow. They're All right. This is, this is, this is, no, this is time for, uh, this is Nintendo's chance. Massively multiplayer uh, Wii Sports yeah, have with gi- spectators, like- right? So, like, you know, you have a ball that's – that the ball really, what it is, is is a, like, electronic filled with sensors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the pitcher pitches the ball at, at a, you know, a, a blue screen in front of him. But the Wii is picking that up, and it knows exactly what that ball is going to do over the plate. And it's presenting that to a batter – who's watching it on his, you know, great big TV, and he knows when that ball's coming, and he swings his bat, which is full of sensors, and it knows exactly how it hit the ball and, and the English that's it received a, off the bat and everything. And, and hey, this is Nintendo's that's about chance to shine. how much fun it would be to have baseball without the crowd. Yeah, you know what? But it kind of reminds me of something I once read about, you know, a fishing game. <laughs> I can imagine. The, the funny thing is, as I was setting up, I looked over and Sam is playing uh, Minecraft and he's fishing <laughs> in the game. And I'm thinking, that looks so lame. That just irritates me. I want to go fishing now and I can't because yeah. the river's flooded. <laughs> I guess you'd go the next best thing and sit there on it, but you're not going to get that kind of... You're not going to get the thrill of catching a no. thirty-pound catfish, and you're not going to get the ten-pound catfish. Thrill of a of a, uh, a, a deep field double hit from a Nintendo right. game, <laughs> and you can't do the wave. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That, that's that's the killer. You can't do the wave. Yeah, boring. Uh, let's see. So, Democrat Christy Smith concedes to uh, Republican Mike Garcia in a special election for California's 25th Congressional District. Um, the Okay, what prompted the special election? I do not know. Did somebody die? Usually you have that when, when somebody in office dies. Yeah, let me... Or is arrested. Okay. Former Rep. Katie Hill, Democrat, resigned uh, during some House ethnics investigations into an inappropriate relationship between herself and one of her congressional staffers. Wow. Um, But the thing is that this is the first time in uh, since 1998 that Republicans have flipped a Democrat-held House seat in California. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of news that we flipped that uh, district or any any district in California. Right. I have to wonder if if they've actually been um, holding an election, or is this just all mail-in? Oh yeah, because what do you I absentee mean, ballots or what? 
And Imagine I have to trying, wonder if that's why we flipped it because, because it took away part of their ability to cheat. That could be, yeah. Because I mean, how are you going to have elections with uh, when you have to stay six feet apart? <laughs> I mean, the lines yeah. get so long anyway. Yeah, and I, I mean, this coming election is going to be really interesting because a lot of people have been fighting some of the uh, voter fraud that's mm-hmm. been going on. Did the ballot? Um, I can't think of the word when you collect ballots. Ballot. Oh, the the polling. The or gathering. are you talking about? Ballot. There's a specific word. Um, it's like picking harvest ballot harvesting. Oh right, right, okay. Um, and and uh, and also the uh, the uh, voter IDs. Um, we're, yeah. we're working on that in certain states, and that's that going to eliminate down. a lot of fraud. Yep. And I got to wonder if a lot of these uh, Democrat districts are going to be flipped because of that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange is supposed to open uh, following Memorial Day. I guess we'll see. I thought mm-hmm. I thought Cuomo had that state shut down until gosh knows when. Like. <laughs> I heard till June, but they're saying the New York Stock Exchange is expected to partially reopen following Memorial Day. Partially reopen. Well, we'll see yeah. what that means. I don't know. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting to watch the uh, all of the the shutdowns. It, it's uh, my wife pointed out that that it really shows because you've got the 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 Democrats and and liberals that are so gleeful over the the idea that there's a need to shut things down it shows how power hungry they are that they you know yeah. it's like they're taking advantage of this opportunity to exercise power even if that power is just telling people you can't open Stay your home. business or whatever yeah it's uh, scary um, the US uh, Navy's Naval Sen- Safety Center start that over United States Navy's Naval Safety Center mm-hmm. disclosed uh, hazard reports of Navy pilot encounters with unidentified aerial phenomena, including an incident in March 2014 in which a fighter jet pilot encountered an unknown aircraft, which was approximately the size of a suitcase and silver in color. So size of a we're suitcase. getting a report from the U- from the Navy on UFOs. Yeah, size of so, a suitcase. Yeah, could uh, that have that been like a, like a drone to me? Yeah, what's that, that unknown sound aircraft? Like aliens? No, it doesn't to me either. But um, yeah, I think what's his name? The guy on Fox News that took O'Reilly's place. Oh, I don't uh, know. He's pretty good. I never watch any news. Carlson Tucker. Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker Carlson. Did a report on um, UFOs, and uh, he seemed to take it kind of serious. And mm-hmm. I've heard a couple, even like uh, Catholic podcasters, uh, do re- do little shows on them. That uh, I don't know. They, it seems to be a thing lately that people are looking more and more at UFOs. And yeah, saying, I think hey, maybe there's something to them. I, think I still with don't re- think releasing there is. the. Um... Releasing the incident reports, which would normally just be kept under wraps because it's DOD related, I think that's got yeah. everybody, 
hailing back to the you know the the uh, um, the days of, of getting you know um, the uh, free, freedom of freedom FOIA freedom of information act information on area 51 and that kind of stuff and so it's kind of it's like yeah. it's like feeding it's like throwing some some uh, some chum you know into a water where where sharks have been kind of they've become kind of complacent and now they're you know getting all sharky again yeah uh there was another earthquake uh this time in nevada wow uh, 6.5 uh with some after after quakes what do they call that aftershocks oh aftershocks yeah yeah uh it was the largest one in the state since 1954 okay uh Death toll from COVID nineteen exceeds three hundred thousand worldwide. You know, I that's not that big still. It's not that big. First of all, second of all, we know that the numbers are padded. That's they're, true. They're anyone who dies is now a COVID nineteen victim. Right. And it's weird how the COVID nineteen numbers went up, and all the other death uh, types went down. Like there are less heart attacks suddenly. Oh. Because they're reclassified. Even millions of people can't get uh, certain uh, procedures done that would help their hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of heart attacks have gone down. So I don't know. <laughs> I just. I guess. I guess the you know argument I mean? is like, they 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 had the heart attack prematurely because they couldn't get the medic medical care they needed because the hospitals are. Um, are being closed down and and um, because of you know COVID-19. nurses aren't working because of COVID nineteen and and yeah. so that you know uh, you know I, everything's I from COVID nineteen any death but you know what COVID-19. what I would say is that there's probably more deaths from COVID nineteen stupidity than there are from the virus itself that's probably yeah, I'm not starting to think that's that. probably not yeah. quite true but but there certainly are a lot of deaths I it's, think from COVID nineteen it's stupidity. getting there yeah. Um, let's see. The governor of Puerto Rico is, uh, is trying to, uh, trying to push Puerto Rico to become a state. Huh. I don't, I don't know what that, I mean, they're in, they're in pretty bad trouble, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're in, I don't think we would want them as a state yet. Generally, to become a state, you kind of got to, you kind of got to organize and become something that we want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. When you see those old movies about about the old West, like the Western territories, the things, right? Yeah, they they had to do this. They had to tame that area in order to become a state. Mm-hmm. It's not like we came in and tamed it for them, right? And I right. I think uh, I think we should expect the same from Puerto Rico. I don't think we should take them while they're in such poverty. They can do things to make themselves better, and they're not doing them. The, the politicians there. Um, right. Oh, so uh, U.S. Space Force uh, launched a robotic spacecraft. Um, we don't know much about it because it's classified, but it's uh, expected to deploy a satellite into orbit, and part of it is testing the power beam technology. Mm-hmm. I, that'll be kind of neat if that... I kind of don't believe it will work out, but I mean, we're we're talking about beaming power from Earth, right? Um, this is uh, X right. three, 37B but, is the uh, name of the spacecraft. Right. No, I'm looking up power beam technology. Um, 
I, I just... Well, okay, power beaming, uh, uh, one interpretation of that appears to involve, like, lasers and stuff, but I'm thinking... That's why I, um, I thought we're, like, basically yeah, no. shooting a laser at a solar collector, almost. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be a laser in the sense of, like, you know, it could be, like, like microwave or something. That, okay. That, that some some yeah. other very... It just has to be highly directional. But, you know, that's, that's not... Uh, I mean, the concept has been around for a, a long time. In fact, um, Nikola Tesla envisioned a world in which power was distributed wirelessly. Yeah, and I still... And he um, worked his inventions. Some of his inventions were were intended towards that kind of of technology. He was able to transfer power wirelessly in significant quantities. It's just that uh, he was never quite able to make them safe when when done in quantities big enough to power a neighborhood. Yeah. Well, I I I see. We were talking about this last week. Uh, actually, when when we went to Jason's giant party. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the one I wasn't invited to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're powering something with, say, uh, magnetic pulses, in order to get those pulses powerful enough to make another pulse, which would create electricity, um, you, I'm trying to think of a way to. Generally, this it's question. it's an electromagnetic wave that you're it, you're basically. You're sending a radio wave of some kind, right? So let's, and but it's but it's not really directional, or if it is directional, it's not like a laser or something like that. Yeah, so but like microwaves are directional. Amount- you, you ever see those on on the the cell towers? Um, and once in a while, you'll see these great big, uh, probably about a meter across round discs. Yeah, the dishes, not yeah. satellite dishes. These are usually like. Like they're covered and they're they usually have a cover that may, is like flat in front, but but they're they're and they're not pointed into space or anything like that like the satellites. Yeah, those are microwave dishes and there's one dish points exactly at one other disc it dish. It's very directional and they communicate back and forth with microwaves. Now it's communications rather than power, but it's highly directional. Yeah, but communication and power are two entirely different things and to to transfer power, you have to create a magnetic or electromagnetic pulse, mm-hmm. and that pulse is not really directional, is it? Yeah, it can. For example, be. you got those. You can direct you got it. Those, you, you can, can make, direct it because you the, got you. The, in order to radiate, it, you need to, an antenna, and antennas can be both directional and omnidirectional. So the thing that picks it up, mm-hmm. you 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 send a certain amount of power out. And then you got you can get a certain amount of power from that, right? The power that le- you're not going to a- be able to capture a hundred percent of that pulse. No, the amount that you didn't capture is that just wasted energy? Um, yes, but you don't capture a hundred percent of the power that's sent down the power line either, and the amount that you don't yeah. capture is wasted energy. Because you're you're talking about it as an antenna, and I, whenever I think of electromagnetic pulses, I just because I'm a technician, what I end up thinking of is a motor oh. or a generator. Yeah, no, it's it's. But when you're it's talking not about, like that. 
power beaming. It's it's like an antenna. In fact, there's there's actually um, it's but they've it's got been those done before. charge those wireless chargers where you set it on a pad. Yeah, you set it on a pad. That that's How does very, that work? That relies on proximity. I I don't know what frequency they use, but but yeah, it's basically beaming power into your phone. Okay, but 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 it's been done long that distance. Beam, Did, a lot of that is of, lost. You know, you're I wasting don't. a lot of energy there, aren't you? I don't. I don't think because the wasting. phone only covers so much. Yeah, I know, but but I don't. I don't think you're wasting as much as you would think. I. You know what? I had to look up and and see how those couple and and how they they keep the the coupling, um, you know, tight and and how much energy is lost versus transferred yeah. to the phone. I, I could look because that up I'm and thinking get back if you have a pad. And you cover a hundred percent of the pad, then you're getting most of the power out of that. But, yeah, but if you it's only not have like, a small portion covered, then it's not like the whole pad is radiating. I did in not fact, know that. There, there might even be there's some some part part in the center of the pad. You know, I don't know how big it is that's radiating, mm-hmm. and there's some area of the phone that can receive. And I think the way it usually is designed is that the area that that the phone can receive from is a little bit bigger than the part that radiates on the pad. So that the pad's radiating up, and then the phone, as long as it hits within a certain area of the phone, it gets picked up, I think. But I'll have to do some research into that. But have you ever heard of the the instrument called the theremin? No. It's the the one that... um, plays the the uh, Star Trek music in, in the old series that oh. one so like okay. a, like a saw well no the it's it's an interesting instrument and it's fully electronic and um, there's like a, a wand or something or maybe just your hand I'm not sure um, but but you you uh, it's like the the more to the right it, it, there's like this this uh, frame and you move within the frame, mm-hmm. and the, the further to, I think it's the further to the right you go, um, the higher the pitch, and the further to the left, the lower. The higher up you go, the louder it is, and the lower, farther down you go, the quieter it is. That would be a hard thing to play. It would be, but it is a it is an instrument, and it's been around for a while. The guy who invented it, Theremin, um, was, uh, you know, he would go and do concerts with it and stuff, and, you know. But yeah. he was a... Uh, actually a Soviet spy. And as he was becoming more successful in America playing his concerts and stuff, it kind of came to the attention of his handlers in Russia who were concerned that he was becoming too attached to, you know, the American way of life. He, he was enjoying it too much. He was having too much success. He shouldn't be that attached. And so he was called back yeah. home to Russia. Now, once in Russia, I mean, he was a, a tinkerer. He was an engineer. He was, you know, a, a, a guy who built things and, and, you know, an inventor, a very successful inventor, a good one uh, is what I mean. And he was tasked with, uh, by Stalin, with coming up with a way to eavesdrop on the U.S. consulate in Russia the ambassador's office in the ambassador's office uh, basically put a bug there that would not be detected. Now the problem is what 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 caused bugs back then to be detected was the fact that you know they had to be powered and then when they were powered 
they were emitting electromagnetic radiations that could be picked up with with you know those wands that you yeah. go and sweep a, a room with and stuff like that. And so the idea was that he had to find a way to somehow embed a bug that was not powered, except when they wanted it to be powered. And it was kind of like his life was on the line if he couldn't pull this off. It turned out he did. He invented a device, and the device itself was a bug. Uh, It was inserted into a, a large presidential seal that was crafted by the Russian version of Boy Scouts and presented to the ambassador as a gift, which, of course, naturally hung on the wall behind the ambassador's desk. And his office was right across the street from this, you know, I don't know if it was a warehouse or a motel or something, some other building where on an equivalent floor they had set up. And it was set up so that the device was powered by beaming microwaves to it from across the street. Okay. They would turn it on and they and it took I forget how many years um I heard that it took before it was finally they discovered. Did this a long time ago. But yeah, this this power has been this this concept and the te- technology has been around for a while. Now, of course, they didn't care about efficiency in this case. You know, they it's like, yeah. "Oh, wow. Now we can spy on the ambassador." You know, that um that it efficiency wasn't an issue then. Obviously, if we're talking about power beaming, beaming from Earth to like a, a space station or something like that, we, we've got to worry about that. And that's where lasers yeah. come in because they're highly directional. Um, it's just that you've got to make it, it, it's not just a show laser, it's got to be a, a power laser to carry the amount of power indicated. And then you've got to have some device on the other side that when the light hits it, it turns it into whatever, electrical power or something like that. Yeah, okay. Huh, I, I did not know that about that. Uh, uh, that yeah, well, guy. we were talking about that. I thought, oh, wow, this is a really cool story I can tell. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, so, so there's a, a dam break in Michigan. Really? Yeah, uh, I can't even say this river name. Uh, Titabawasi. Titabawasi River. Uh, three straight days of heavy rainfall. And the Edenville Dam in central uh, Michigan partially collapsed. A bunch of evacuations downstream. Um, The National Guard is there to assist. Uh, I don't don't know what's... That was... That was like within the past day or two. I think. Yeah, I think that was I've got. Today. In fact, I've got this. Uh, floodwaters breach Michigan dams, forcing evaluations. Um, it actually says um, two dams in c- central Michigan were breached by rain swollen floodwaters. Wow. So. Yeah, I think the majority of people do not understand. Yeah. The uh, the the damage that a flood can do. Oh yeah. Um. <clears throat> and until you've been in one, it's hard to imagine what it does to. And I'm not talking about flowing water. I'm just talking about water. Just the presence of it, water where it shouldn't be. Yeah. What it does to structures and and everything, um, it's really devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, let's. Oh, okay. This also happened today. I think. Um, guy named Carlos Gone um, was in Japan. He was uh, he was one of the chairmen at Nissan Motors, and he 
did some crimes. He I, maybe underreported some earnings, stuff like that. Uh, white collar type crimes. Um, and he was up for charges in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, two Americans went there. It was a father and son, the fathers of Green Beret. Okay. And helped him escape from Japan and got him to Lebanon. Oh, they where he's from? were arrested in Massachusetts huh. by uh, U.S. Marshals for helping him escape. So he was up on Japan charges. Japan wants them extradited. Was he, was he fleeing justice in Japan? Was he, was he actually indicted? Yes. And, and Okay. He was so, in the middle of a court battle, and he was, he was claiming innocence, and he was, I guess, out on bail. And they okay. helped him escape. And they helped him escape, and then they've been arrested because of that. Yeah. Now, they're being held without bail for now because they're a flea. I mean, after helping him escape, there's no reason to think oh, they won't Oh, yeah, that they escape. wouldn't just flee anyway. But I wonder why so, they... Uh, why are we cooperating why did with they... Japan so much? I don't know. Well, why did they do it? I mean, why why would we care if a, if, a, if a Lebanese from Japan is uh, indicted for... You know, the guy looks. The guy who escaped looks American. I I'm not sure about him. No, I'm reading. He's he's um, French. He has he looks American to me. He's Brazilian born and he has French and Lebanese oh, nationality. Okay. So he's not even an American. Why would two American? I mean, I guess why would American uh, an American? Uh, what was it? A Green Beret? Um, yeah. Why would they? Like why a, would they um, interfere in that? That's that must have I, I been think, hired as mercenaries. That's what I'm thinking. Because otherwise, why yeah. would they interfere? <clears throat> I, I think that's the case. I just I I don't know. I know you, look, you commit these. <laughs> you go to another country and commit these crimes. But why is the U.S. Marshal arresting them? I just I don't know. Yeah, that's. I kind of wish that it wasn't happening. But I guess. Un- unless there's unless it's like you know there may be national laws that American citizens aren't yeah, allowed but, to interfere in the justice processes of other countries. Right. Unless those countries are, you know, like declared hostile or something like that, you know. Right. Like if they were helping him uh, escape from North Korea, that would be a different story. I don't I don't think Trump has weighed in on this, but there's like the crimes involve millions of dollars, not thousands. So Oh, okay. There's a whole bunch of It's hard to even follow what the problem was and what his crime was. Mm-hmm. Because Nissan was a part of it too, and Nissan was being charged. But, oh, um, and then Nissan is charging. Uh, what, would, what did I say his name was? Goad. Goad. Or yeah. Goad. Okay, and I don't know. Japan wants him extradited. Right now, we're not doing it, but I guess yeah, but we'll wait and it, see what happens. That's between Japan and Lebanon, right? It's not ours to extradite him. He's in Lebanon. Well. U.S. Marshals we the can't. one arrested them. Arrested the Americans. Yeah. They want... The Japan Americans, the Americans extradited. extradited. Oh, no. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. I would keep him here. I mean, I would I still not. prosecute him. I don't think he, that American citizens should interfere in other countries' affairs. Just like if we were prosecuting somebody, um, I'd be real upset if, if a couple of, of Special Forces guys from Britain came and, and smuggled them out of yeah. the U.S., so I think the Americans should be prosecuted, but I think they should be prosecuted under American law. Yeah. So, I, I, 
this just happened recently. I, I don't know. Uh, Trump has a habit of weighing in on these things, and I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Or he might just stay out of this one because uh, they did actually break the law. Yeah. But yeah, think- he he may weigh in on on hey you know we're 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 fully capable of of handling the crimes of our own citizens kind of a thing you know yeah it that is all I got all right I don't have very much from the uh, the news from the nation of nonsense there's two items I'm going to bring up the one is uh, in uh, so Indiana as a state is opening back up um, yeah and yeah we're 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 making it but the mayor of indianapolis has put that city and the county that it occupies it, it, basically the city and the county are are identical pretty much yeah. it's marion county has put it on a slower track of opening up and so he's got a few things in place that are kind of slowing down what the governor is allowing but one of the things that he's done even though restaurants in Indianapolis can open for a certain capacity that's percentage based as well as stores and other things you know the store stores that aren't grocery stores that you know maybe aren't yeah. what they would call uh, essential or whatever anyway as because even though everything else seems to be capacity based they've decided that religious services instead of being capacity based and just saying you have to observe you know, distance and stuff like that, yeah. uh, can only have 25 attendees, no matter how big the church is. Well, that's just stupid. It is stupid. Now, to his credit, the attorney general of Indiana has brought suit against, brought suit to stay the order of the mayor, claiming that it's a um, violation of religious civil liberties by targeting religion specifically for different treatment than everything else i kind of don't think that he's prevailed i think that the it was supposed to be heard in a court this week i haven't gone and checked the actual result of that but i think he has not prevailed because the churches that i'm reading are still on the track of okay we can only have 25 people in and stuff like that um but that is thoroughly stupid and yeah shame on the mayor of indianapolis now this you know other this, yeah. the sad part about that is that the uh, you're not reading about any Catholic bishops or priests uh, fighting any of this. It's wow. always the Protestants who are who are standing up to the government, and I that's driving me crazy. It's embarrassing. Why? It, it's so embarrassing. It, the the bishops just bow down like a bunch of. Yeah. I don't even want to say cowards there's, because there's, they weren't being uh they weren't being threatened, threatened in any way. I know. They're just they're more like sheep. It's like they they're they're, they're sheep. They're being, they're going to, where they're uh, led without question. It's so it's so terrible. The shepherds are being what, sheep. Yeah. It's uh and and now I think uh Christ uh went out to the wilderness and all these people surrounded him. And he had pity on them because they were sheep without shepherds. Yeah, and that's and what we the Catholic Church is right becoming, now. Yeah. Well, and you know that's that that's a good segue into my next and last nonsense news. And this is actually an old story, a um, couple months old fact. But I didn't realize I'd never read it until um, this week. So back when things first got shut down, 
there was a priest in Terre Haute, my old, uh, you know, where I went to college, um, uh, who served St. Patrick and St. Margaret Mary Catholic churches, both churches of which I've attended uh, mass. And he decided that he, what he would do is pull up his pickup truck in a church parking lot uh, or in the, the church parking lots for the two different parishes. And basically he would crack his window. You know how confessions are. I mean, you don't, you don't have right. to have this open air. So you just, just barely enough to hear the guy. He would crack his window you could drive up next to him, crack your window, um, and give your confession. He would give you absolution. Um, it's actually a pretty safe way to confess. I mean, you you you, you know, yeah. people aren't going to be able to hear you or anything. Um, he was shut down. By not whom? not by the mayor, not by the governor. He was shut down by the bishop of Indianapolis, who said. The archdiocese has deemed it to be too high a risk for contamination. Actually, actually, the priest is who gave that quote. The archdiocese has deemed it too high a risk for contamination. How stupid! That, and that exactly that proves you sick your point. My stomach. Yeah, and proves your point. The bishops are being sheep. They're not even putting up a fight. It's not like they're giving in out of either exhaustion or or being arm twisted or anything like that they're not even putting up a fight for the sake of their flock it's uh uh and and you're seeing some heroic priests who are doing everything within their power while understanding that even even if the bishops are evil which Mm -hmm. i i've been red-pilled on this you can't say some of them aren't evil they're some of them just are evil they're doing this to keep Christ's uh, uh, saving graces from getting to the people and um, but the priests still have to do what they say and if your bishop says no yeah. confessions you can't have confessions I know the, the requirement of obedience is still there it, it's yeah it's a, it's a horrible situation I mean and there's priests who are doing everything they can to try to get to the people to try to get the sacraments Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's confession or um, the Eucharist or whatever, and uh, they're just they're being told no, and these these bishops are just my goodness. Yeah. Who's the bishop of Indianapolis who did this? Uh, Charles uh, Charles Thompson, I think. I should know because I live here. <laughs> yeah. Charles Coleman Thompson. Yeah, Charles Thompson. Bishop. I knew it was Charles. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know he... Is he still... Is he all the way in uh, uh, Terre Haute? Yeah, yeah, Terre Haute is part of the diocese of... Yeah. The Indiana, Indiana from from what I understand, has... I think there's one, two, three, four... I think there's five dioceses. There there may be fewer than that, but I'm thinking there's Indianapolis, which stretches... All the way across central Indiana. All the way across the street. From, from, yeah, so, so like, like, uh, churches in, in Lawrenceburg, for example, I think are, are in Indianapolis. Um, and then there's Lafayette, which is north. And then north of Lafayette, I think there's two, I think there's two dioceses. There might only be one. Fort Wayne is obviously one, but I'm thinking Fort Wayne and South Bend. And then south, there's Evansville. 
and I think Evansville is the whole southern part of the state. I'm not positive yeah. about that, but I think that's how it works. Well, it's uh, it's sad that so much of this nonsense is happening in the Catholic Church more than any other church. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really sad. But uh, I guess I guess there's only one thing we can do about that. Keep circling. Keep praying. The beads. Circle the beads. That's right. That's all we can do. Um, okay. Well, that's that's all we got tonight. Hopefully, we'll get back together Friday night. Do we know what we're talking about? We don't have a topic yet. We we need to scramble I, for I a topic. Really, I want to do one on traditionalists, but it it takes a lot of uh, research, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get that done. Oh, in the next two days. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, the, and there's the a lot traditionalist of, movement. There's and, a lot of you know, the, subtlety to parse out there too, because there's a lot of things that they're right on. And there's things that they're right on in the wrong way, and you know. Right. Well, uh, Jason and I have been uh, going rounds about it, and it sounds like Taylor Marshall has is right on that edge there. Yeah, I, that's and that's my reading too. He seems to be falling for the society of with the pious attempts. Right. The and I. I think he's falling the wrong way there, um, but I, before I could even, but I, I, I need to research that before I say much about it. So what do you mean by you and Jason have been going around? Does he have some thoughts to contribute? Because we should get him on it too. He's, um, it's not, I, I, I don't know how to say it without uh, making it sound wrong. I would <laughs> oh, <okay>. say he's <laughs> sympathetic to their plight, oh, at least. right. Right, and as but am I in many ways. points up is, would we have the traditional mass the way we have it now still without what they did? Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. And I I think he's wrong on that. Oh. Because he's saying they preserved it in a way that wouldn't have been possible without what they did. I would, I would say breaking that... breaking from the church, if... And then the argument is, did they actually break from the church? Is yeah. this a schism? Oh, that's, wow, boy, that takes me back. I, I once uh, attended a, um, oh, man, uh, I forget what the, like, Keep the Faith Conference or something. It was a conference out in, um, out east somewhere uh, with Bob Regner that um, the the big thing was a debate on that specific question between Michael yeah. Davies and E. Michael Jones. Um it's and a, uh that's, it's a, wow it's a tough uh, subject <laughs> i know but i i it's one of those things we i don't know we got to do that sometime yeah we will have to we will have to all right well until then uh think about what we said and we will see you hopefully in a couple days yep and uh, don't forget to circle, circle the beat. Beat. bye everyone